Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir. It is Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. And as Gino likes to always say, there is so much in the sports world that's going on. There are so many things to get to today. We only have an hour to do it, so let's get right to it. Today, I'm going to talk to you about a few different things that are kind of all over the board, ranging from The Athletic put out a piece naming their top 100 players of all time. Kind of want to focus on the top 20, top 10, top 5 of this post. Very fascinating who they've come up with in their top 20. It's a nice mixture of offensive and defensive players. Um, Very curious to see if you guys out there agree or disagree with the rankings that they have come up with and who is above who and who is underrated and who is below where they should be, who is overrated, etc. Also, going to talk a little bit of baseball. Down the stretch here, about 10 games left, nine games left for most of these teams. As we're on the air right now, I am watching the Giants and Padres deadlocked at six. The Dodgers and the Rockies have gone into extra innings. So these games are as tight as the standings suggest. And we're going to be treated to a really, really nice final week of the MLB season. Whether some of the divisions or most of the divisions really are wrapped up by now, there's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the NL West. There's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the AL East uh, behind the Rays, that is. The AL East wildcard contenders. It looks pretty definitive that the wild card will come out of the AL East. It looks like the second wild card will also come out of the AL East as well. What about the NL wild cards? How about the underachieving Padres, the aforementioned team that's playing right now? They're about to fall to 500. I mean, literally, they are a 500 baseball team, basically. 76 and 75. Losers of five in a row. They've lost eight out of their last ten. They've pretty much played their way out of the playoff mix. How can that be the case? They were probably, I don't want to say the co-favorite with the Dodgers, but they were definitely the second-ranked team on paper going into this 2021 season. Now, you could say, well, they've had injuries to their pitching staff, etc. But every team has. Every team has gone through injuries throughout the year. But I've actually found... The reason that the Giants are in first place, the reason why the Giants have played so well, the reason that they are two games above the heavily favored Los Angeles Dodgers, who on paper should be dominant. They've been good. Don't get me wrong. They're playing 638 baseball. They're 97 and 55. They've got the second best record in the big leagues. But to me, it's an impossibility that the Dodgers are below the San Francisco Giants. It, it doesn't make any sense at all when you look at the rosters, when you look at the names, when you look at the experience, number of all-stars. 
MVPs, you name it. In every metrics known to mankind going into this 2021 season, you could not have come up with the San Francisco Giants. I'm sorry. Even the most diehard of fans, you know, maybe they go to Las Vegas. I'm sure you guys are out there where you maybe you're in Vegas and you look at the odds for your team. Oh, it's 50 to one to win the World Series. And for fun, you maybe put 10 bucks on it or something like that. A lot of fans do that. You know, over the years, I've done that with the Dolphins, with the Red Sox, et cetera. In fact, this year, I did do it for the Red Sox. But this year, I actually kind of believed that the Red Sox are undervalued. I think anybody that made that same kind of wager on the Giants probably did it because the odds were so alluring. It kind of made sense to risk a small amount of money for a big return. I'd be very curious if anybody out there actually laid big bucks on the Giants because they actually truly believed that they were undervalued and that they really stood a legitimate chance to be able to make a run. I can't see it. I can't imagine that anybody's out there, unless it's one of those people that just bets on every single team across the board and then, you know, is able to show off afterwards. Hey, I had this pick. I had the Giants. I had the Pirates, whatever. I mean, those people are out there. They're definitely out there in the horse racing world, right? There's a guy. Oh, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. He's over at La Salle. Not going to give you his last name, but anybody that hangs out the Vessels Club probably knows who I'm talking about. There is not a big payoff, pick five, pick six, or superfecta that he hasn't won over the years. The guy is amazing. Always wins. Somehow, some way, he always wins. But that's for another story and another day. Back to the Giants for a moment. I have found the formula, the secret for their success. And I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. But as I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about this athletic piece. And by the way, just to set the table for the remainder of the show, we will talk about this piece. We'll talk about the the baseball pennant chase run, as I mentioned. We're also going to be uh, fortunate enough to host a really great guest, a friend of the show. He's been on with us many times, Nick Underhill with New Orleans.Football. He is an insider for the New Orleans Saints. Previously, he was an insider for the New England Patriots for The Athletic, the same periodical that I'm going to be referencing quite a bit today. Tremendous writer, tremendous insider, always gets a scoop, gets it before anybody else. Somehow, some way, you go onto his Twitter, and he has the story first. Before anybody else, somebody gets shut down due to COVID, you go to Nick Underhill. If somebody you know, uh, gets a contract extension, you go to Nick Underhill. If you follow him, you'll get the straight scoop on the Saints and other NFL stuff right away. So we'll spend some time with Nick, and he'll kind of fill us in on some of the challenges that the Saints have had this season. It's more than meets the eye, guys. And I know that firsthand. It's much more than meets the eyes. A lot of these guys haven't even been home in a long time because of the hurricane. So we'll get into that a little bit. So that's setting the table. Let's get right to it. The athletic piece just came out a few days ago. Good read. Definitely one worth taking a look at. I'm going to start from the very, very top player number 100 and kind of work my way down just for a few picks so you have an idea as to what they did here. So selection number 100 is Derek Brooks. of the. Uh, he was the leader for that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense with Warren Sapp and 
my man Simeon Rice in that Super Bowl team that won the 2002 Lombardi Trophy. Um, definitely a pick that should be in the top 100. Uh, number 99 is Dermonte Dawson of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a six-time All-Pro. He's a Hall of Famer. Definitely worthy of being in the top 100. You got to go back to yesteryear to Steve Van Buren to get to pick number 98. He was an Eagles running back in the 40s and 50s. That is 1940s and 1950s because pretty soon we're going to be in the 2040s and 2050s. So we got to preface it with uh, which century we're talking about. Double zero, the most famous uniform number maybe in NFL history. Jim Otto of the Raiders, Hall of Fame uh, lineman. The guy really, really laid it out all on the line. I think he's had either surgeries or limb replacements on you know half his body. So if there's anybody that has given his body for the game of football, it's Jim Otto. Truly as they state in the article, the story of the Raiders cannot be told without double zero, without Jim Otto. Number 96 is Mike Ditka as the player. Now, most people know him as the Hall of Fame tight end, which he is. Uh, excuse me. Many know him as the Bears Super Bowl champion coach of the 85 Bears, which he is. But he was also, I said it backwards, but he's also the uh, Hall of Fame tight end. Played for the Cowboys. He was a hard-hitting tight end, but he was probably one of the first to make the receiving tight end fashionable. He had really, really good hands. Number 95 is Fran Tarkenton, a name that many Dolphins fans know very, very well. He was the quarterback of the Vikings in the 70s. The reason that Dolphin fans know him well is because he had a lot of the records that Dan Marino was chasing. Now, Fran Tarkenton was kind of uh, maybe the first Michael Vick, the first uh, Steve Young, the first Lamar Jackson, the first Randall Cunningham. He was the running quarterback, but also had an arm. So he's kind of a trailblazer in that regard. Uh, Just to round up the bottom 10 in the top 100, if that makes any sense, 94 is another yesteryear yesteryear name, Elroy Hirsch better known as Crazy Legs. He was the speedster of of his time, kind of like the cheetah, the Tyreek Hill. Number 93, Mike Singletary. Everybody knows his eyes. Everybody knows his serious demeanor, his athleticism, Hall of Fame linebacker. He was the leader of the vaunted 85 Bears, who are widely considered the best defense of all time. Number 92, another name of yesteryear, Lenny Moore. He was kind of that dual threat running back like uh, like Roger Craig in the 80s or LaDainian Tomlinson or Marshall Falk or more recently, Christian McCaffrey. Number 91, Willie Davis. Number 90, Willie Brown of the Raiders. A lot of Raiders on here. A lot of Raiders from yesteryear. So those are picks 100 to picks 90. I don't think anybody's going to have any issue with those It's really once you start getting into the top 20 that you start kind of debating things and asking yourself, should that person be there? Should that person not be there? The one that was really interesting to me that stood out was current player Aaron Donald. He's at number 24 all time. Now, don't get me wrong. He's 
probably the best in the league right now what he does. He's a three-time defensive player of the year winner. But to be in the top 25 in NFL history is kind of a big deal. So I kind of want to delve into that a little bit. Another active player that stands at number 21 is Aaron Rodgers. So that pretty much brings us into the top 20. Let me rip through those very quickly, and then I'll give some comments. Number 20, Bruce Smith of the Buffalo Bills. Great rivalry with Dan Marino. Marino was impossible to sack because of his quick release. Bruce Smith's got to everybody. He was a pro bowler. He's a sack artist. He was a seven-time pro bowler. Those matchups against him and Richmond Webb, the tackle for the Dolphins, are a thing of legend. Number 19, hard-hitting safety. Probably the most famous of the 49ers dynasty defensive players, Ronnie Lott. Number 18, somebody I just mentioned a few moments ago, Dan Marino. Might be a little bit undervalued there. I, I kind of think that Dan Marino should belong in the top 10. What do you guys think? Number 18, I think he's probably, you, you really can't talk about today's passing league without going through Dan Marino. I mean, if, one of the items of a formula of greatness is what was your impact on the game? I mean, there's probably nobody offensively that's had a greater impact on today's version of football than Dan Marino. I mean, it's kind of like a mixture of today's NFL is kind of a mixture of Dan Marino and the college game, believe it or not. And who would have thunk it, right? Because years back, it was always like, oh, he comes out of a college system. He can't serve. He can't succeed in the NFL. But somehow, someway, we've transitioned into the college system. And that's why we see some guys that come from these very, very unique college offensive schemes come into the NFL, and it finally now translates. Doesn't Andre Ware wish he came out this year instead of uh, 25 years ago, right? Okay, number 17, Ray Lewis. 16, Deacon Jones. 15, John Elway. I always question whether he should be above or below Dan Marino. Yeah, I know he won two Super Bowls, but let's face it. When Elway won those Super Bowls, he wasn't John Elway uh, earlier in his career. He was 0-3 in Super Bowls, right? The last two Super Bowls, his only two Super Bowl victories, they were all about Terrell Davis. They were all about the defense. They were all about Shannon Sharp. They weren't about John Elway. Yeah, of course, you got to make some throws, but that's just like saying like Peyton Manning won uh, the Super Bowl, you know, a few years back for the Broncos and not their defense because it was entirely their defense. Manning couldn't even throw the ball. He was just fortunate to be a very, very, let's just say right place at the right time. Great game manager because of his football smarts. He, he didn't make any mistakes. He made the throws that he needed to and he got them to the Super Bowl and they won the big game credit for that but you to me in my mind you, you can't take those type of super bowls and rank somebody ahead of Dan Marino because of them to me that's hogwash that that doesn't jive with me whatsoever okay number 14 mean joe green of the vaunted steelers defense of the 70s 
Number 13, Don Hudson of the Green Bay Packers. He was kind of the first of the modern-day wide receivers. Yet he played for those title town teams for the Green Bay Packers of Vince Lombardi, the man that we have his name on the trophy for the Super Bowl. Number 12, maybe a little bit overrated here, in my opinion, Anthony Munoz of the Cincinnati Bengals offensive lineman. He's probably considered maybe the greatest offensive lineman in NFL history. You know, he used to steamroll his opponents. He used to absolutely embarrass them. But to have him as the 12th greatest player in NFL history, I don't know about that. Number 11, Otto Graham. Now, to me, that's that's when I start getting a little bit heated. Yeah, he took the Browns to the championship, I think, in every one of his 10 seasons, and he won seven of them. But, man, let's face it, that was when football, it wasn't what it is today. I mean, it was closer to two-hand touch <laughs> than pro-tackle football. That's not to say that these guys weren't really mean and really tough and that the rules were just so wide open because they were. But the pads weren't what they are today. The speed of the game wasn't what it is today. The size of the guys wasn't what it is today. The athleticism isn't what it was today. There were still some racial barriers. These guys, most of these guys, I don't think would even make rosters today. I apologize if that's sacrilege to some of you guys. That's just how I feel about some of these guys from yesteryear. It is not like Ted Williams or Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays playing in today's game. Those guys' games translate. Hitting 90-mile-an-hour fastballs back then versus now, it's the same thing. Yeah, of course, I know the arguments. Today's game, once again, is more international, so you got better players all across the board. I understand you face a lot of relievers more often and that type of thing. You're not facing the same starter in the 11th inning as you were back then. I get it. But those guys were damn good hitters. They were good fielders. They would be all-stars in today's game nonetheless. Okay, let's now get to the top 10. The top 10 starts off with Dick Butkus at 10, Johnny Unitas at 9, Walter Payton at 8, Peyton Manning at 7, Joe Montana at 6, Reggie White at 5, LT, Lawrence Taylor at 4, Number three is Jerry Rice, widely agreed upon that he's the best receiver of all time. Number two, Jim Brown. Number one, Tom Brady. By the way, we'll discuss the merits of some of these rankings. Once again, put out by The Athletic just a few weeks ago in their top 100 NFL players of all time. We'll break them down and talk about who is overrated, who's underrated, who's too high on the list, who's too low on the list, etc. But one thing that you'll see is it's not necessarily made up entirely of first-round draft picks, big schools, etc. I mean, the top guy, Tom Brady, everybody knows is a late-rounder from Michigan. He was kind of viewed as maybe a clipboard holder. And sure enough, he turns out to be the greatest of all time. Uh, Walter Payton hailed out of a, a historically black college, right? Joe Montana was a middle-round guy, granted from Notre Dame. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, too which is what is the pedigree? Do you have to be a high draft pick? Do you have to come from, you know, nowadays the SEC to succeed in the NFL, et cetera? So 
We'll get more to that about that after the break. Let's take a quick timeout. And on the other side, we will be joined by Saints insider Nick Underhill. Stay with us. We will be right back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike Abadir Show, we are treated once again. Good friend of the show, Saints insider, NFL insider, Nick Underhill from New Orleans dot football. Nick, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, doing well. Uh, I was listening to the, the, the last segment. I'd be curious to know where they have, like, Deion Sanders or Revis on, on that list. I'm not saying they should be top ten, but I'm curious. Like, it seems like nobody ever puts cornerbacks, like, high enough in their rankings despite the value of the position. Did I read? I don't even remember reading off a of DB, to be honest with you, now that you say that. I think the highest yeah. might be, well, if you use somebody from the secondary, Ronnie Lott was number 18, I believe. Uh, no, 19. If you continue with that, let's see here. Another safety, Rod, well, he played, I think, corner and safety, Rod Woodson. Okay. But he was more of a safety, right? He, I know. I mean, he's listed as a defensive back, which is kind of vague. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying if, if we were starting a team and we were selecting players, I think that there's some cornerbacks that would get taken higher than maybe some of the people in the top ten. That doesn't mean they're necessarily a better player, but I think positional value like gets left out of these rankings quite often. And I, I just feel like Dion should always be somewhere in that top 20. I mean, it, that's cornerback all the time. Revis... Yeah, yep. No, I agree with you. So here he is. Uh, if you go by position, cornerback, the first one that appears is number 28, Deion Sanders. Okay. And it's I kind mean, of funny, by the way, too, I mean, because let me, let me say this. Here's the funny thing. 
you're right. Here's how we know that they don't get the credit they, they deserve. The first sentence in this piece, when you click on Dion, I'll just read it aloud. Sanders remains the only person to score an NFL touchdown and hit, hit an MLB home run in the same week. He goes on to say he's the only one to play in both a World Series and a Super Bowl. So it's his dual sport aspect that kind of creates the allure for even this writer, which by all means is huge, 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 a huge feat in my book. I agree. But he was the most dominant shutdown corner. I mean, if we're not starting with that, then you're right. Yeah. Then we're not really valuing this the right way. Did they get Revis on the list? I'm scrolling like, through He kind here of defined just... an era. You know, I mean, he, he was by far the best player in the NFL for a couple of years. I mean, had the Jets in the NFC title game. I, it just seems like he gets forget, forgotten a lot. And I, I just kind of feel like he defined like a whole era of defensive play. And it just kind of seems like he gets forgotten about on those all-time lists quite often. No, you're right, man. Okay, so we got Ed Reed at 39. Put it this way, I'm already now at pick 55, and I still haven't seen him or other corners even. Pick number 56. Like if you're doing, a, if you're doing an all-decades you're doing an all-decades team, and you have to draft people from, from that era. Like, Revis is easily a top-ten player in that era. Like, he should be a top-100 guy. Like, I just feel like that's a major oversight. And I, it's just interesting to me that, like, we, we forget about these, like, shutdown corners. And, and honestly, like, that term shutdown corner, there's only been probably, man, I, less than five true shutdown corners probably, like, throughout the entire NFL history. I know we like to toss it around and put it on people, but, like, true shutdown guys. I mean, they're super rare, and there's two of them there. You got one at 28, and the other one's, it seems like it's been even on the list. That's, I don't know. I, 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 got, I got to disagree with that ranking. Yeah, I agree with you. When we get to pick number 71, we got another corner, Mel Blount, Blunt, however you pronounce it, Blount from the uh, 70s Steelers team. Now, one thing that I've noticed, and I'm still scrolling up, by the way, I'm not seeing, you don't get named Revis Island for no reason, right? Uh, Mike Haynes, right. next corner, uh, legendary Raiders okay. player at 79. Yeah, the corners are not it's crazy. really, uh, yeah, they're not really emerging on this list. Champ Bailey at 87, so they've got him higher than than Revis, if we're talking about similar areas. I can't, I can't, I can't get mad at that, but if you got to get Revis on there somewhere. I don't know. It's just, man, the way he played, it was just unbelievable. I mean, he made the, the whole jet scheme. I mean, they, 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 they got the, the title game because of him. I, I just, I can't believe that. Let me ask you this. And, uh, I see here, Daryl green at 88. He rounds out the, uh, the group of corners in the top 100. And obviously Daryl green, he was, he was known for his blistering speed. He was the fastest guy in football for a long time. He was a good DB, too. Don't get me wrong. But I think that also kind of carried uh, carried him, and he took that all the way to the Hall of Fame. He was the fastest guy. He he ran down guys. I remember that, you know, when you watch those old school videos, Nick, and you see, like, it almost looks like slow motion. The gap isn't being narrowed at all. And, <laughs> it, like, with Eric Dickerson or something, and then the defender ends up kind of, like, stumbling and, you know, see his, with his hands, he's trying to kind of stay uh, afoot, and then he falls flat on his face. Daryl Green was the guy that that never would happen to. Somebody running back broke through. Daryl Green would 
take the angle and get there and tackle the guy on the 18-yard line and anybody else it would have been a touchdown. Um, he had a huge impact on the game, and he was a big reason why the Redskins won those Super Bowls in the uh, 80s. But no Revis Island, man. Uh, Willie Brown at 90, legendary corner for the Raiders. Here's one thing I will tell you, by the way, before we get to the Saints, Nick. A very obvious theme here is that they've given a lot of value, and I don't blame them, for like legendary players from the past. And they're yeah. they're giving them the weight of their contributions for their time period. Sometimes that's a little bit hard for me to get around, you know, when, when you're talking about like Lance Allworth or something, right? I, I don't right. even know if Lance Allworth would be an undrafted signee that makes the roster or not today. Right. Yeah, like I, I give all the respect in the world to like Otto Graham, but like I'm not putting him in my QB rankings. I just I can't. I don't know how to do that. So I mean, maybe maybe you're right for putting old timers out of more recent players. Maybe sometimes it's hard to, like you said, put that weight of their contributions when it's such a recent contribution. But I think sometimes you got to take a step back and just realize, like, hey, this guy was the defining defensive back for an entire era of football. Maybe we should find a way to get him on the list. Well, you mentioned Autogram. He's number 11 of all time. He's ranked ahead of who, in my mind, is probably the most impactful quarterback on today's game is Dan Marino. Yeah. I don't know if you heard in the, uh, at the outset of the show, and he's ahead of Elway as well. He's basically ahead of anybody besides Montana, Peyton, and uh, Brady. Uh, Autogram, that is. I was just saying that, in my opinion, today's offenses are entirely beget from... Dan Marino, the combination of Dan Marino and college schemes. And I was saying it was kind of funny because remember the knock on guys years back? I mean, within our fanhood's time period, let's just say, on a quarterback was he's coming out of a college system. He's not going to succeed. You know, a Colt Brandon from Hawaii or uh, Andre Ware out of Houston. You know, this guy was just a world beater in college. He had crazy, crazy stats. But he didn't really uh, get afforded much of a chance in the NFL because he came out of a college system. Well, today's game is kind of a hybrid of, like I said, the college system. We've adopted so much into it, as well as um, the wide-open passing attack of Dan Marino. So his contributions on the game, and keep in mind all these records that are being, being broken in much more ideal conditions favoring the quarterback and wide receivers today are Dan Marino's records that are being broken. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. you put him in today's game, he breaks his own records as well. Yeah, it's like you said, it's probably the hardest sport to compare across eras just because so much changes. And even like over a 10-year period, like the game just continues to evolve and, and you start going back more. But yeah, I mean, Dan was a unicorn. And, you know, maybe Otto Graham was better than him. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just don't know how to rank people that I never really saw. And that I just know could not play in anything resembling modern football. So it's almost like you, you need to like split it at a certain point and like cut people off when you're doing these things, because you're just, you're ranking stories and legends against like things that people are doing, at least in the sport that still looks the same today to some degree. Whereas these guys that are in these black and white videos, like they just, they just really weren't playing what football is today. So I, I don't even really know how to start that conversation, but those guys tend to get more reverence and it's like, you almost have to put them there because that's what 
the group think says is that Otto Graham has to be at this spot in the quarterback rankings, and that's where he is every single time. But most of the people put them on that list probably haven't seen more than, you know, a four-minute black-and-white clip that plays on NFL Network. So, like, how do you really do that? It's just it's a very imperfect process. Yeah, with, with the uh, NFL Films narrator in the background, you know, um, <laughs> glamorizing the situation, making it sound poetic or beautiful or historic or whatever, definitely um, penetrates into the human psyche when you see those things. I love those NFL films. Uh, you know, Nick Sable, uh, Steve Sable, excuse me, um, produced and, and narrated, and they're, they're absolutely fantastic uh, pieces that they put together. But with that said, I mean... Uh, they definitely have an impact. Now, by the way, just so you know, if anybody's wondering, and I gave credit to The Athletic for this piece, if anybody's wondering who wrote this piece, they just list the Athletic NFL staff. So what I'm suspecting, and Nick, maybe you could correct me, I guess my guess on how they do it is they give everybody a sheet and they ask them to rank them, and then they use kind of the the maybe like golf score or something like that to be able to come up with their rankings. Just guessing. Um, so I've seen a few people tweet about it and I think they kind of had like a, a panel and they got, they got hall of fame voters, you know, on their, on their staff. And I think those people kind of came up with the top 100 uh, for the, but yeah, I think it was, it was like that. Some, some people voted for it and they uh, put together their ranking. Interesting. You know, you mentioned the difficulty in other sport, um, you know, in NFL versus other sports. I was just saying like, and I don't know if you heard me or not, but like Ted Williams or Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle hitting a 93-mile-an-hour fastball is comparable to today's 93-mile-an-hour fastball, right? Yeah, you can make arguments that today's game they face a 100-mile-an-hour reliever, you know, three times a game, whereas those guys face the same pitcher all the way into the 11th inning. Yeah, I get it. But I'm pretty sure if you go off of their first two at-bats for, for those guys, um, you know, their statistics are probably through the charts. So I would make the case that Ted Williams would compete for batting titles today, just as he did back then. Now, Willie Mays would be a 600 home run hitter. He was the first Ken Griffey Jr. back then, and it translates today. Now, even with that said, baseball does do a couple of things, Nick, that kind of um, maybe the NFL should consider doing. First one is a lot of times, especially writers like Ken Rosenthal and, and guys uh, like Jason Stark, et cetera, that are the Peter Gammons, the big baseball writers, they always make it a point to say um, modern era versus not. Some use the uh, pre-World War II uh, cutoff um, and others will say pre-integration, post-integration, right? Because now the game today, because of Jackie Robinson, we've got players from all over the world now. Right. So we truly have the best players on the planet playing baseball. But as you see, there's some cutoffs. You know, for me, I would say the cutoff is pre-1980. I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll go ahead and let the 49ers, 80s teams be the first of the truest form of football. But even then, Nick, I mean, like you said, the last 10 years, there have been changes for sure. But those teams of the 80s were really, really good because they were like George Steinbrenner of the Yankees. Let's put together an all-star team every year. And whoever's got the most money that could shell it all out gets the best of the best. Now, with that said, you still have to manage it. You still have to 
put together team chemistry, a team that works together and that still wins. But from a salary cap perspective or salary cap less perspective, you know, football's changed so much. But for me, 1980s, the cutoff, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then there's even like benchmarks beyond there. Like when, when roles change to favor wide receivers, I, you know, I think the, the game changed when you could stop hitting, couldn't hit quarterbacks anymore. I think the game changed and it made it a lot easier to rack up yardage and, you know, for a guy to play until what is he 43 years old now, Brady? Like I, if Brady had played 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, it, you know, there would just be an accumulation of hits that I, I just think would make that impossible so he's setting career benchmarks and yardage records and you know breeze was doing it before him in an era that just isn't reflective of the previous areas and the people that they're passing up so it's just it's just such a complicated sport to compare across eras and you know the ted williams thing is it's funny like ted would probably be better today because he would have the technology to study and the analytics and he was someone that that you know, studied the game and took all the information and the information so much better now that he'd probably actually be better nowadays than he was back then. But That's yeah, football wise, I, I, I just think it's, it's so difficult just because it's every five, 10 years, some, something's different and they're changing the game. And you look back and all of a sudden it's just, it's just a completely different sport than it was. But I think, yeah, 1980, you can at least kind of intellectually piece things together and make the qualifiers where it's understandable, but you start going too far back and it's just, you're talking about a whole different game. You know, it's really funny. And I'm going to mention this really quickly here is when you look at the athletics piece on baseball, by the way, the equivalent piece done for baseball, it has a lot of players from yesteryear, but I think it's because of what we're talking about. It not only translates, but the argument could be made that you just mentioned, which is that these guys could be as good, if not better with today's technology, also with today's medicine and ability to go back out there mm-hmm. and play. These guys were playing hurt all the time, which was also the case in the NFL, too. But, you know, the reason I use the 1980s as a cutoff is because I do think that Joe Montana would be successful in today's game. I don't know if Joe Namath would be. You know, I don't. I know he had a great arm, but I don't know if he would be Andy Dalton right now or uh, a bench warmer. I don't think he'd be a Hall of Famer. I don't think he should have been a Hall of Famer then even, but uh, that's not to pick on, on uh, Joe Namath. He was more a celeb than he was a great quarterback, in my opinion. And if you look at the stat sheet, that, it'll back up what I'm talking about. But in baseball, the athletics baseball piece, it's Willie Mays, number one, Babe Ruth, two, Barry Bonds, three, Hank Aaron, four, Oscar Charleston, five, Ted Williams, six, Walter Johnson, seven, Ty Cobb, eight, Stan Musial, 9, Satchel Page 10, Mickey Mantle, 11, Honus Wagner, 12. It's almost all players from the past. Once you get to number 13, you get to Roger Clemens. Once you get to number 16, you get to A-Rod. And then you finally get to Mike Schmidt at 20, Frank Robinson uh, tied for 20, it says. Uh, Albert Pujols at 23. The reason I kind of took it that far is because it's very interesting in that the top three modern-day players – Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and A-Rod, all in order, then none are in the Hall of Fame. And probably won't be. That's the really yeah, interesting thing about it. Mike Schmidt is the first person of the modern era that gets it, which I, I kind of don't agree with either. I don't think he's the best player since the black and white days. 
<laughs> Mike Schmidt? No way. <laughs> uh, Nick, we've actually ended up uh, talking about rankings this whole time. we got to take a commercial break. Are you up for staying with us a few more minutes so we can squeeze in some Saints talk? Yeah, we can do Saints after the break. Okay. We're joined by Nick Underhill of New Orleans.Football. Stay with us, everyone. We're going to come back and talk about not just modern era, today's era, today's New Orleans Saints and what's going on with them. Please stay with us. We will be right back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Joined by Nick Underhill, Saints Insider of New Orleans Football. If you haven't checked it out and you're a Saints man, make sure you do. If you're an NFL fan in general, make sure you do. If you're a fantasy player, make sure you do. Also, follow Nick Underhill on Twitter. He is always going to be the first to let you know when somebody's out for COVID, when somebody's up for contract <laughs> extension, uh, any co- contract details, uh, anything Saints-related. He's always the first to get to it. That is Nick underscore Underhill. So, Nick, on the break, we were continuing with this top rankings. I, I can't get enough of this. So, so now we're shifting to baseball talk. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., number 48. That's Are you telling crazy, me that man. there's 47 players all-time better than Ken Griffey Jr.? And here's the weird thing. If you go to number 52, and in my mind, if you're 52 or 48, that means you're the same. Okay. Adrian Beltre at 52. Are you kidding me? Adrian Beltre is ahead of Joe DiMaggio, ahead of Reggie Jackson, ahead of Pete Rose. I'll tell you what, Nick. I love the. uh, If if these pieces are put together. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I loved Adrian Beltre dropping to his knee and like hitting the home run. And, you know, that was like 
that close to Griffey and at 52? And you said Henderson's in the top, Ricky Henderson's in the top 30. Like, I would have to have Griffey above Ricky Henderson on my rankings. I mean, that's just, Ricky was amazing, but I mean, Griffey was like the most natural talent in, in Again, I go back to like the defining the era uh, argument, and I just don't think you can talk '90s baseball, early 2000s baseball, and that's that's Griffey's era, and you kind of use him to define everybody else against him. I mean, he's he's a guy that kind of went through it clean, and you kind of end up having to compare Barry Bonds to him, and, and he's just kind of like the the control for that whole era. And if you're if you're setting that benchmark off of one guy, he needs to be a little bit higher on that list. Okay, one other point of contention here. Tony Gwynn at number 95. you got to be kidding me. I mean, we got uh, – I don't mean to pick on Adrian Beltre, but Adrian Beltre is that much better than Tony Gwynn, who all he did is lead the league in hits and batting titles, and before he got fat, he stole a lot of bases, and he was a great, <laughs> great <laughs> – you know, he was a really, really good um, – off-field guy. He was a great field general on the field, led by example. I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Tony Gwynn. It's only superfluous commentary. And by the way, his development of players, and yes, I'm saying him developing players like Steven Strasburg at San Diego State um, is a a thing, a legend as well. Uh, If he hadn't unfortunately passed away, I think he would have been able to mentor and coach up a lot of guys that made it to the big leagues. That shouldn't obviously go on his resume. I'm just saying the guy's impact is a thing of legend. And, yeah, when you got Adrian Beltre ahead of Pete Rose and, you know, guys like that, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, Nick, if these pieces are put together to get criticism, to get people talking about the athletic, they've sure done a great job in doing that. Yeah, they have. They, they got us, so <laughs> get to <them. laughs> For sure. And look, I love Wade Boggs, but they have him ahead of Ken Griffey Jr. Ahead of Satch, uh, uh, Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Uh, I do not sense. agree. I do not agree. Okay, let's get to the subject at hand for today, which is the Saints. So at the very beginning of the show, I was letting people know that one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on for today is maybe to give some insight for the non-Saints fan as to what's going on with the Saints. Because I don't think many people realize the turmoil that they're dealing with. Everybody saw the headlines of the devastating hurricane. And the day after the hurricane, they kind of, on a nationwide basis, kind of forgot about it. It's like, oh, yeah, there was damage. It sucks. It's turn the page and move on. But the Saints haven't moved on. They haven't been able to. Just fill us in, generally speaking, on what's going on with these Saints. Yeah, so on the hurricane, I mean, I, I just got back here last week, um, Saturday, and it's it been 24 days in, in Dallas with the team before that. They're still out there. They're going to come back after this game. But look, coming back here, like, this isn't, this isn't over here. Like, there's still a lot of stuff going on. The city of New Orleans itself, there's power back in most places, so that's good. Um, internet's still out a lot of places. A lot of people still don't have internet. Our trash isn't getting removed. The, the people that um, removed the trash went on strike before the hurricane, and now they can't get enough people out to clear all the stuff. And if you've never been in a hurricane, 
the amount of garbage and debris and stuff that gets produced is out of this world. I mean, shingles, whole roofs get blown off, you know? So, so you got a, multiple houses, stacks of shingles, just sitting on the curb waiting to go somewhere. No one's taking it. Tree leaves, trash getting blown around. And you drive down some of the streets, and it's, it's shocking just to see the piles of stuff that's out there. Now, some neighborhoods, it's starting to go, but, you know, in, in the, the medians, on the main roads, it's just piled up. There's just trash all over the place. So, I mean, there's still a lot to do. Um, you ride around and you just see blue tarps over houses. You know, there's not enough people to fix the roofs. So, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot going on. So, they're still out there to minimize some of the, I don't want to use the word distraction, but if you are someone that had something happen to your house and you go, I mean, it's, it's something you got to deal with. So, they're trying to, to just stay away from here as long as possible um, just to make sure the players remain locked in on on their opponents and the stuff they got to do. But at some point they got to come back and and deal with the stuff that's going on uh, with life. And then beyond that last week's game, not only are they out 10 starters, they were out seven coaches for the whole week. And you you saw the impact of that, I think um, very clearly for their offense. They were having trouble getting set, their protection set and stopping Carolina's blitz. At one point, Carolina ran the same blitz three times in a row and beat them on the same blitz three times in a row. They're starting centers out. The guy that would be the backup centers out. They got Cesar Ruiz there. who played center in college, but he's been working at guard and he hasn't been doing that. And, um, and post Drew Brees, the, the responsibility to set the protections now falls on the center. So Ruiz is trying to do that. He's getting beat left and right. The offensive line coach is out with COVID, and they just can't make the adjustments. So there's just a whole lot of stuff going on with this team right now, and it just feels like everything that could go wrong for them is going wrong for them after everything really went right for them against Green Bay. But just I think the weight of everything that's been going on kind of settled right on that Carolina performance. And you just you just saw it kind of coming apart at the seams. And, and you know, at a certain point, you just – there's so much going on that you just can't really hold it together. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like I said, on a national level, at a national level, you know, people are unaware of some of the finer details, even down to, uh, I think it's completely legitimate to be worried about maybe loved ones in that region, uh, friends in that region, your own home for the guys that are homeowners, maybe even apartment renters are my windows destroyed, et cetera. There's that aspect. And then there's just not being at home, not sleeping on your bed, not being able to put your head on your own pillow for this long. This is like the longest baseball road trip of all time. And there's something to be said for that. The inconveniences of playing or practicing at a venue that's not yours. Um, Zach was telling me, Zach Wood, that is, he was telling me that, you know, they have to have 45-minute bus rides to and from. Yeah. And because of that, they've got late-night meetings, et cetera. I've barely been able to have a conversation with him because he's so busy, much more busy than he would be if things were normal back home. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you make a, a great point there, too. And, you know, for me, I'm away from here. I can have people walk around the outside of my house. I don't know what's going on on the inside of my house. And that's where a lot of people have bad things happen. You know, your, your roof leaks and maybe you can't see that from the street, but water's coming through it. And on the inside, your, your roof's just, your ceiling's collapsed into your living room. And like, you just don't know if that's happening. So you're, 
you're sitting out in Dallas for four weeks and you have no idea what's going on. And the other part of that is when you leave, you aren't leaving and expecting to be gone for a month. You, you're taking five, five shirts, you know, and, and you leave and then you have no idea when you're coming back. And that makes it kind of hard to deal with mentally. Like they, they used to go to the Greenbrier, West Virginia, and you would know, okay, 23 days. And you set your mind to that. I'm going to be gone for 23 days. You get to day 14 and you're like, all right, I can make it nine more days. This isn't that bad. You're out there and it's just kind of indefinite. And it's like, when is this going to end? When are they going back? What's going to happen? And there's just so much uncertainty and stress and just things that, that weigh on you that you can't really, you can't really think about. And you're picking up pieces of it on Twitter and in the news. And, you know, you're seeing stuff like, oh my God, where am I living? They can't take the trash. And, you know, it's just all these, these different little stresses. And I think that makes it really hard to deal with. And, you know, people are starting to get homesick at a certain point. You got Alvin Kamara in, a, in his press conferences, basically, you know, making pleas for, for the team to come back home. And, and you know, I just think it, it, it's a lot. And getting back here, getting back to normal, even with some of the inconveniences that, that still exist and the issues that they're still trying to get through, I think, um, you know, that'll help them kind of get into their routine, settle into things. You know, this week even, they're, they're practicing at AT&T Stadium, so they don't even have the TCU weight room and the facilities, you know, that, that were there when they were practicing there. So that's another change for them. So it's just been a really, really nomadic existence. Um, and I just, like you said, I just think it, it's tough and stressful and it's time wasted and it's just really hard to be normal. And look, even with like the COVID situation, I think that thing spread further through the coaching staff than it probably would have in a normal setting because you're just there. Nobody's going home. You're sitting in a hotel. Everybody's bunched together. They're on buses. And, you know, I just think that takes you out of your, your routine of that. And that probably became worse due to this uh, situation as well. Lots of adversity. Appreciate everything that you've provided us insight-wise. I'm actually going to put together a campaign where we can uh, donate a little bit to some of the hurricane victims. It's not too late for that. In fact, they're just beginning right now in the in a sense yeah. to get things back to normal. Uh, I will let all the listeners know about that. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to all the listeners out there. As always, appreciate you. Without you, there is no show. And ultimately, we will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.